0: Welcome to Counter Stories, a show by people of color, for people of color, and everyone else. I'm Hale Lee, owner of the Other Media Group, VP of Programming
1: at Ampers, and Counter Stories producer. I'm Don Eubanks, member of the Mille Lacs of Ojibwe Indians and associate of Dendros Group.
2: And I'm Cindy Morales garcia co-founder of the Courageous Change Collective. Thanks for joining us, Marsha. So
0: our two other co-hosts, Anthony Galloway and Luz Maria Frias, cannot be here with us today. And so we hope them the best on what they're working on. And today we have a very special guest that will be joining us to have um, a very serious conversation. So can you introduce yourself? Good
3: morning, everyone. My name is Marsha Allen.
0: I am a Hmong mom.
3: Here on the east side of St. Paul, I am an activist and entrepreneur.
0: We have Marcia here today to talk with us about something I'm sure all of us have heard. Maybe all of us have seen or may not or have chosen to not have seen. Um, This situation that happened um, in St. Paul about a week ago, the shooting of a Hmong elder, Ye Xiong, by St. Paul police, that resulted in his death. Uh, Marsha has been working with the family who um, I know uh, I reached out to to see if they were um, willing to come on the show and talk. And they suggested that Marsha come and, and talk on their behalf. So we welcome Marsha to the show. And Marsha, can you just explain to us a little bit about what we're talking about, really? For sure, definitely. Uh, thank you again for having me on the
3: show this morning. So there was a Hmong elder by the name of Ye Hyung, um, who was actually killed by the St. Paul Police Department on February 11th. Um, and so, you know, he died unjustly. And uh, honestly, just a group of folks and activists and um, legislation just really got together and created a group to fight for yeah um this group consisted of city council Nelsie Yang here in Ward Six also senator um, uh, Pa in uh I believe the Brooklyn Park area as well those are just some um there are a few community members organizers and just some other um, political folks as well
1: this incident uh in a Um, a senior high rise building where I think, you know, from what I can remember about seeing reporting on it is, is, uh, I think the first reports came out that there was some kind of disturbance or something that happened at this high rise building that, the uh, St. Paul police responded to and that the, uh, and that the uh individual that was shot cuz at that time we did not know the uh ethnic um ethnic uh, background of the of the individual that that was shot all we were told is that um this individual uh if, if i remember correctly this individual was creating some kind of disturbance when the police showed up and tried to engage the individual they they um Uh, went, they left the area, as they reported, the police followed, um, and then the individual apparently um, turned around toward the police with a knife and refused uh, commands to drop the knife, uh, and the individual was tased and shot. If I remember, I mean, that's what I remember hearing initially on the reports. And in hearing similar type stories like that for about I don't know two three days, um, you know Before nothing really. Before the body much cam, deep, was, was yeah, shared. you know exactly. And really, what and, what, and, the, and, what and, they
0: showed Don was that um, the report was that there was a man making threats with a, a knife. When the police arrived, the man went to enter his apartment, and they wouldn't let him shut the door. And so when he turned back around, they said he had a knife that he lunged at them. And one officer, there was a Hmong officer, Cha, who, t- who tased him. And the other officer, a deer, I hope I'm saying his name right, a deer shot him. A deer w- had an A, like an assault rifle. Yeah, AR-15,
3: AR-15. And so I really want to highlight who Yia Sheng is. Um, Ye Hyung is a 65 year old secret war veteran. He is deaf. And you guys are right. Those St. Paul police were called into an assisted living apartment in St. Paul. And, and they are, again, it's assisted living. There are many folks there that um, reside that either, you know, have disability. Um, Ye Jong was deaf. And so he didn't speak any English at all mm-hmm. whatsoever. Uh, My understanding is that on February 11th, there was a disturbance at the complex um, in the community room. The stories are that someone actually pulled a gun on him inside of um, the complex um, in the uh, general area. And so it kind of provoked it or um, PTSD kicked in. Right. You know, when you're Mm a War veteran. Um, he was uh, a veteran a veteran for this from the secret war during um, the Vietnam War where they he fought alongside American soldiers. And so that kicks in. a trauma kicks in. and so that's kind of where it escalated. Um, you guys, and I know that we have not seen the full video. We've seen clips and mm-hmm. and all that, but we have not seen media is not showing, and no one has seen the full video. Um, and so it is very unfortunate. It is very unfortunate. um the police that did end up killing him um was uh Abdi Dahar. He was the one that actually pulled the AR rifle. Um, and so again, you know our there's he was killed unjust. you know there there's nothing to it. He was mm-hmm. really killed unjust and so we we already kind of know what's happening here. And so what we want to do is really give a voice to you, Right now and his families, and we want to find justice right now
1: those were the reports that we were hearing the first two three days or whatever and then they they showed that video the they, sh- they showed uh, a partial video um that marsh that Marsha just mentioned so I saw that video and I think that was the first time that i I saw that it was a elder Hmong individual so mm-hmm. at, at that point I had no idea who the police had shot and killed but once I saw that video I'm like oh my God this is an elder Hmong person and then after you know and and in that mm-hmm. video, they were explaining that they were telling him to stop. He opens his apartment door. He seems to walk in for a short bit and turns around. And it's at that time they stopped the video because apparently that's when he he had been shot. But then they showed they just showed kind of a shiny thing. You couldn't really see what this object was, but they were describing it as a knife. Now, I don't know if I saw a knife or not. I just saw a reflection. And in our communities of color, that's all it takes is a reflection of something or just the description of it. I mean, it. this kind of really reminded me of, um, of the uh, No Knock Warrant where these police bust into that apartment looking for one individual mm-hmm. and and the, uh, his cousin, sleeping on the couch, wakes up startled to having these police officers mm-hmm. um, charging into the apartment, hollering at him, and he has a gun that's registered in his name and all he does is lift it and he gets blasted, right? I mean, th- this is what that video reminded me of. It's mm-hmm. like there was no time to discern exactly what was happening. Now Marsh is telling us that he was deaf. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that even makes this worse. How, how do you shoot mm-hmm. someone who's deaf?
3: And so I want to just kind of come in and interject too, and I appreciate that, Donald. Like I want to really interject, right, because the video does show that he did come out with a, with a knife. So that's that's accurate. He did have a knife. However, let's just take a look, rewind the video that we see, right, the media has mm-hmm. been sharing. There was a moment that he was standing in front of his door, picking his keys, right? Yeah. You can yeah. clearly see there was a moment right there when the St. Paul Police Department could have interjected that very mm-hmm. moment. Instead, you see a taser and the AR rifle. I mean, I, it was, it was, I believe on one of the newspapers and I, I took a picture of it, mm-hmm. but that was a moment right there for the St. Paul police department to really de-escalate that they followed mm-hmm. him. This man was clearly still standing in front of his door before he even entered into his apartment building. Mm-hmm. And that's the piece. That's the part right there that we want to focus on. Why was, Coast not called Coast is a mental health uh, mental illness um in the in the city of St Paul that will come out to situations like this it, they were not called no one was called, even the police that were there no one stepped in um to mm-hmm. intervene to to deescalate the situation at all. Okay. That's another, that's one of the pieces we, I want to highlight. Another piece is again, we can all see in the video, a taser was fired and then an AR rifle was fired. So Mm -hmm. how is that protocol? Uh You know, that's how Mm -hmm. is that protocol, right? How can the chief say that was protocol when both were fired at the same time? What is protocol? You come to a knife with an Mm AR-15 Right. Mm -hmm. So now again, there was no de-escalation, and that is that is the unjust. That is really
1: the unjust, right? Well, well, Marsha, um, why why was he tased? I mean, what what was the threat? Here's what I saw in the video was was um an elder Hmong walking toward his apartment. With no explanation why he was take or what you know what were they mm-hmm. what were they attempting to do? I mean they were you know they were I
3: attempting mean, they were attempting to take him down because again he was made to be this monster that was attacking or that was um, provoking residents during a party but again we only see the piece that media is portraying we don't see the piece that happened before right okay, we don't so, see so, no, we no, don't no. see so, that
1: so so he so they there they called the police to respond mm-hmm. to an incident right was anyone hurt in this incident or i mean provoking can know. mean a lot of different things
3: we, we right? don't
1: so, know we so don't know
0: threatening he was threatening that's the re- yeah. that was the call. Was he was threatening? Okay.
1: So was he threatening with a weapon? Was he threat? He was just well, that he what, was threatening with a his knife. voice. Right? And who knows police, what that
0: means? Um, Th- they walked in with right. their guns the police, already. They yeah. walked in with an You know, you you hear you get a report that there's an old man at a at an, a senior living center with a gun threatening residents, and you pick up an an AR fifteen. Like, that's my question, right? Mm -hmm. Is that, that's the first move you make. You hear senior living, living assistance center, old man, knife. Oh, let me get out Mm -hmm. my, my AR-15, you know? And the situation was he could have gone into his apartment. They could have de-escalated the situation knowing it's not like he fled. It's not like he went out the door, got in a car and fled, Mm -hmm. right? He went into his apartment. They would have had the time to have figured out, that he was deaf. I mean, these places usually have staff. They could have gotten a hold of family. A lot of people were saying, well, why didn't that Hmong officer step in and translate? Well, it wouldn't have helped because he was deaf. He would have had to have his Mm -hmm. hearing aids on, which the the family was in the process of purchasing his hearing aids. So the officer Mm -hmm. literally would have had to be standing next to him to translate. So, uh, you know, for me, mm-hmm. I'm feeling a little like torn between the actions of this Hmong officer. People are saying, you killed him, but he was the one who set off the taser, not the bullet. People mm-hmm. are saying, you should right. have translated, but he did. there was literally no opportunity for him to have stepped in and translated, given especially that the man was deaf. Now, <laughs> when the video came right, out, right. and it was an edited video... They did not release the full footage from either cameras. The police edited together the pieces they thought were relevant, and put. And that's the re, the video that was released. I didn't watch it for a few days. Cindy, did you mm-hmm. did you watch the video? I mean, I have chosen in the past to not watch videos that were released.
2: Yeah, um, I just watched a little bit, but I actually want to slow us down and a little overwhelmed. I just want to recognize that we lost an elder. We kind of just jumped into this conversation. I really want to welcome you, Marsha. And I want to thank you for the connection that you're helping us and our listeners have with this family that is part of our community. Um, I don't know about y'all, but I feel like, wow, I just want to notice that we have been hearing about so many shootings these last few years, that it can be very easy to just jump into analyzing, deciding who's wrong, doing all this stuff right away, right? Not that this is new in our communities, but that we have been connected to it via news, via accountability, via social media in a way. So I just kind of want, I I personally just want to notice a few things here. I want to notice that um, we lost this elder, Ye Zhang, I wanna notice that um, it is very easy to jump into deciding who's right and who's wrong. We have a justice system that is based off of of this puritanical concept of punishment. There's a black and white, there's a right or wrong, there's someone who needs to be punished and someone who did right. And I think folks are looking for that, right? When we hear these stories, we wanna look for the justification of, Well, either the police were one hundred percent wrong; it was completely unjustified, or the police were one hundred percent right, and here's this individual who is violent or is whatever. Like we reach for that because we want to make sense of these things. But Cindy, I want to I want to interject, and I don't I don't mean to
3: interrupt you. But then again, that system is all it's not. That system is not set up for us, right? That system is too. Yes, to I'm with you. the police.
2: I agree. I agree. And that's exactly where I'm going. I think that's where Don is trying to go. So what I'm saying is I know we are set up. We have been set up. And that's why our stories have been invisibilized. Because actually, it's hella more complicated than that. And what I appreciate about us being able to have this conversation and what I think we're inviting our listeners to lean into with us is there are nuances here that matter, that humanize, that must be heard, that need to be heard if we are to do right by the elders we lost, the young people we've lost, the folks in the system who, you know, are complicit or who are trying to figure themselves out. And I think that as we saw earlier, as I appreciate Don, you sort of laying it out, like that's not how we were set up to understand these things, right? Like what is going on? You know, we have this elder who is a survivor of war who has this weapon, who can't hear, who got, uh, I, I kept wondering, so who, if somebody like initially pulled a gun on him, what happened to the person who initially pulled the gun exactly. on this elder? Exactly. You know, but the thing is, like, we have an elder in distress who, who may have been a threat to the community because of how systems used and discarded him mm-hmm. and left right. him. And the truth is he may have been, you know, uh, a threat to the community, yet this is not how we need to respond or have to respond. So there's all these nuances to the story that I think that is our work here today. How do we build the muscles of complexity that there is no completely right or wrong, completely black or white situation here? There is a gross, gross misconduct on the place of violence like, I think overreaction that took something invaluable for our our community, but if we only focus on just how they totally messed that up, we miss that we have elders out there who need us, who who we have failed them through our systems, and that also needs to be looked at. And so I appreciate, uh, I just appreciate, Marcia, the complexity you've been bringing. And that was my initial question at the beginning was like, what do we need to know that we don't know what, what truths are the family and community holding that the rest of us are not able to hear that will better illuminate what the frick happened, but also what actually, what is the accountability we are asking for? What are the systems that need to get changed here? Because I feel like that's the only way to do right is Mm -hmm. not to like stay with a like, here's a, here's a martyr, Hear complete villains, because that doesn't actually heal anything or bring any of the change, you know, so we know how to continue to like process and react in powerful ways to right. these stories, right? right? That we get hoodwinked about, we get right. manipulated on. And so right. I'm wondering what else, you know, what is something, what is most important for the family right now for us to know about this elder, for us to know about how things went down. For this sure. This is why I so, wanted
0: the two of you on this on this Zoom with me cuz I feel like I'm also like <laughs> blinded by rage. You know. Yeah. <laughs> at, the, at this point, for sure. <laughs> you know, I've been seeing all this and all the the rallies and people yeah. like you know going to the police stations and holding vigils and i'm like blinded by this rage that this yeah. happened and and yeah. the many options i feel that are available yes. to police and and the and and you know what are we asking for right i mean yeah. what can we do ask well, yeah. for additional training because they they've said that they've yes. they said we've done the whatever extra that training. Means. yeah whatever that means well, well it, and-
2: it doesn't seem to be working And I want to recognize, like, this isn't, you know, I'm Latina. This isn't an elder in my community. I think we need to acknowledge when we are closer, the more proximity we have to the pain, the more you may know. You know stuff, Hilly, that allows you to jump into, I'm gonna point this stuff out that I don't know. But I Mm -hmm. wanna be, I'm like, I want us to be connected, right? Like I wanna be this in this with you. So I'm I need to like, you know, as someone connected, but outside. I just want us to recognize that there are reasons we all respond the way we do. And that's why we need each other. Some of us are ready Mm -hmm. to jump in and just go, you know, and some of us are like, hold on, I'm trying to process this. And I got you. That's what we get to do together with our listeners. And there's space for wherever we are in relationship to this issue. Right?
0: Yeah. Thank you, Cindy.
1: So Cindy, you know, you bring up a, well, you always You'll always have a way of of connecting and bringing up all these interesting points. And I think that, you know, and I think sometimes, and thank you for reminding reminding us of that, because here on Counter-Stories, unfortunately, ever since we began Counter-Stories, and the original idea of Counter-Stories was, was the four of us would come together and just share our own perspectives from our various communities on current news events Mm -hmm. that was the initial idea of counter stories and unfortunately what happened is the current news events where we were always responding unfortunately to the police shooting and killing someone generally a black male right um i would have to say yeah generally a black male was being killed by a police officer and so it, you know people may 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 look back at our, our various podcasts but we were always addressing those kind of issues um so for me you know there is a lot of background to this to this incident but when i first saw that video and i realized this was among elder well then my perception of what happened and what i've been hearing immediately changed because Mm -hmm. i had the overwhelming feeling that the police were feeding us this line that we as individuals of of uh, that come from various communities of color are so used to getting from police from those official reports even from the news agencies when these first came out and Mm -hmm. so the video immediately showed hey wait a minute that you know there's something unusual going on here that individual did not have to die and yeah. my reaction was the same as I saw them as I saw him standing there fumbling with his keys to try right. to get in his mm-hmm. door I was right. like well why don't you just go up there and just you this know is the moment yeah right. the, yes. that's it I mean, what right. were you and waiting for he was
2: clearly afraid. Right, he was right. clearly, fra- I yes. would be freaked out. You're coming at me with this, like, giant assault rifle. I'm just trying to, I'm like, who would well, not be freaked and out And not just that, that,
1: that, now we're finding yeah. out he was hard of hearing, oh. and he only mm-hmm. spoke Hmong, which already made it bad. Mm-hmm. I don't believe they were standing there signing, not if they're holding a Taser and an AR-15, so no one's signing to him. So mm-hmm. he has no idea, My, he, he has no idea. And then I hear now that he, he he fought in a secret war. Well, that even adds, I mean that even that that compounds this issue even more because that meant he was recruited by the the CIA okay. to to engage in an illegal war because we weren't supposed to be in Laos at that time. Mm-hmm. And so the Hmong were recruited mm-hmm. to to fight the uh, northern uh, uh, the North Vietnamese in the Ho Chi Minh Trail there. Mm-hmm. So I mean that whole mm-hmm. war we weren't even aware of because they never talked about it, they never showed it. and then but it made you know and that that was never part of the explanation because at you know at the end of uh, the Vietnam War, we saw them removing Vietnamese, but we never heard about the Hmong. Mm-hmm. Right, we never heard about their contribution and what they did for this country, right? So, right. he was a veteran of that. So, that means mm-hmm. this country owed this gentleman, this elder, a deep uh gratitude for the service he provided to keep our freedom. And our repayment to him is that he's deaf, suffering from PTSD, and he's shot and killed. I mean, mm-hmm. it just absolutely blows me away. And the thing is, is that he looks like us. I don't care, right? Same color hue skin as the rest of us. So for me, it's another incident where in this country, you are a person of color, a different ethnicity, a non-white American, and we're treated differently. We're, there's a whole different approach to how these incidences play out. And it's, to me, it, it it just, it continues that saga. It continues that battle that we have in this country for equal justice.
3: I want to kind of take us back to, you know, what Cindy had mentioned in regards to like, what do we do now, right? Like what happens now? Like we're going to always find sides and stuff. Uh, I think it, this has really divided our monk community. Right. Mm -hmm. And so now I kind of want to just take us back to like what was what was said. You know, what do you think that that do you think that the St. Paul police put St. Paul police followed procedure? Um, And I have here that the St. Paul police chief Axel Henry continued to advocate for these two officers. We're talking about Cha and Abdi, that the procedures that they use were ethically correct, Right. Mm -hmm. And so let's kind of take us back again. We go back to whenever there is police brutality or whenever someone dies at the hands of the police unjustly. Like we're always kind of taken back to this space again. Like what happens next? What happened next? Like history has shown that, of course, the procedure that you guys are in placing is not working. Again, Mm -hmm. we're paying money. We have folks in place, especially here in the city of St. Paul We have the department, um, the COAST, which is the Community Outreach Stabilization Unit. Like, why do we have these in implementation and it's not being utilized? You know what I mean? And so really our ask, our ask, not just on behalf of the family, but for our community and other communities that have had their loved ones killed Mm -hmm. by the police, We're Mm -hmm. asking for them, the St. Paul Police Department, to fire, arrest, and prosecute the St. Paul Police Officer, Abdi Dahar, and Nashu Cha, hold all the officers on the scene accountable. Again, why did they not intervene? So that means that there's a procedure when it comes down to training. It's incorrect. It's incorrect. And so how many times, how many more lives do we have to lose for them to take a look at it, right? Like, you know, we say, okay, take that. And in in and, and develop something that's a lot better. Mm-hmm. That the the, yeah. the these two officers had one year. Ooh. You know they're they're rookies. Yeah, they're rookies. Where were their? Who where? Why, why couldn't they partner? I mean, there's so many different questions. But the, the my my point here is that every time someone dies by the hands of the police unjustly, mm-hmm. we're always in this space again. We're always back and discussing like, what if, what if? And it's like, we know, our communities know, what is the police doing? What are they doing? Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah. And I wanna point out, you know, it's so interesting because so often when we have conversations on police shootings, it's within the context of the black community, right? Historically, that makes sense. Um, And then, and so we seem to think like, oh, this is just a black and white issue. Right. Only black folks are getting killed. The rest of us who are brown or somewhere in between, like we don't have it as bad or we don't want. It's like, no, when you're the other, you're the other. Like how black and Mm -hmm. indigenous folks have been treated is the blueprints for how the rest of us are going to be treated. So like this is an everybody issue. Right. And so um, but here we have this Hmong elder. Right, and we seem to think, you know, I'm just trying to point out all the ways that these narratives are not serving us. Right, that we've oversimplified it. It's black and white issue. All it, the issue is like these white cops. Right, there were no white cops present in this scenario. Right, it's that like we had two folks of color, and one of and one of the cops was a Hmong person as well. And so we're seeing that it's not just like these individual actors; someone did something wrong, but it's these systems that have trained us where the the procedure in and of itself is setting us up no matter who we are to target folks of color and to always respond in ways of of violence because if our if the roots of this institution go back to slavery those people that they're persecuting were never fully human to begin with that is woven into the dna of these procedures like i think that's something we have to reckon with even though times have changed or whatever that that is woven into the thinking that's like We have inherited those genetics with these with these systems. And until we fully recognize that, I think we have to question it's not just like, well, we have more people from our own community policing ourselves. Like, how are we policing? What are these procedures? What Mm -hmm. is going on? And if we can be more honest about that, I think we can start to actually look at the complexities Mm -hmm. that That we have to address in order Mm -hmm. to, because it is, you know, I feel like I learned something with this news coverage in that they're like, there's a taser. I'm like, okay, all right, at least we got a taser. You know, like that felt like improvement for me. That's so sad, but that's what it felt. Mm -hmm. And then there is a backup rifle. That's the most I've ever heard about a procedure you know, about a policy, about how these things work. And I'm like, on a very vague, high level, I guess that kind of makes sense a little bit that you want some backup, I guess. But what clearly this isn't working. When you actually see the footage, they're right on top of each other.
0: Right. They're right on top of each other. They both shot at the same time. It wasn't, the taser didn't work, then we shoot. It was, this is, do it at the same time. There was no communication. Yeah, And the problem is, I think, For me, I wish that the police department could just admit when they're wrong. And I think that's the big issue is that even if somebody on on their team does something bad and they know it, they won't admit it. And I don't know if it's a pride Mm -hmm. thing or if they feel like they'll lose some sort of authority. But what it's really doing is driving a wedge further between community and them. When they keep saying, no, 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 all of that was protocol when it looks like it was just a hot mess when it looks like everybody was at at the time on the scene scrambling and nobody really knew what to do, and they turn around and say, oh, no, 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 that was protocol. Well, that looks bad on you guys. You know that, right? Mm -hmm. Because you can't admit that that something wrong happened. You can't admit that, oh, we sent two rookies who maybe should have been paired with veteran officers. But instead Mm -hmm. what we Mm -hmm. did was we sent two rookies and it was a hot mess. But no, 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 it was all protocol because we can't admit Mm -hmm. that we – did something wrong and that just makes the mess even bigger
1: right right so with the three of us what you know um what what is procedure they throw that term at us with no explanation of exactly what that procedure was or is and the reason the reason i mean because I bristle when I hear that coming from them as their standard answer, Oh, they followed procedure. They fought, fra- they followed protocol. Well, what is that procedure? What is that protocol? You know, it's very vague to us. And I, I bring that, I mean, and, and, that's a portion of, of this exchange between the system and us is that generally when they use those terms, we're just supposed to kind of accept it and move forward. And it's when we question that. And the reason why I bring that up is, is you know, where, where I live, I was asked to be part of a group to re, kind of respond to the Philandro Castile shooting that happened mm-hmm. in Falcon Heights in, in Roseville. And as a part of that, the Roseville police uh, pulled out um, they actually had um, copies of how the police were to proceed when they interact with the um, with citizens, with us, right? And as I read these um, procedures as their their police were trained, it essentially, from the very start of this document established was beginning to establish a a um an interaction where no matter what the police said or did it was expected that we as citizens immediately complied with everything mm-hmm. and anything the police said to us our rights seemed to end as soon as the police begin to interact with us. exactly. And as I read through that, I read about three or four bullets and I stopped. I said, wait a minute. Where is it assumed that we as people have no rights once we're engaged by a police officer? Because the chief of police was explaining that as long as we, we, the people, the citizens, complied with every demand given to us by that officer, then everything would be all right. But as I read that, it meant we were essentially just saying, oh, okay, Um, I give up all my rights. You, in, in this instance, as a police officer, essentially have every right to say or do anything to me and I have none, no rights whatsoever. I was totally blown away with what I was reading. And I was trying to figure out where along, where in in in, in our interaction with uh, systems that supposedly were put in place to protect and serve, even though history shows us that indeed was not necessarily the case, because Policio, I... I you know there have been there have been things in history that showed that uh you know until police departments officially were created the only thing that we had in place at that time were uh people who were paid to go in and, and um um and and uh hunt down runaway slaves mm-hmm. and out of that situation we eventually morphed into what we call police departments is, yeah. and i mean but think about that people were paid to go hunt down and bring back slaves right but i and i don't want to get into this whole history thing but it's those procedures and protocols that essentially every every police department is expecting us as citizens to give up all our rights once we're engaged by police, police officers mm-hmm. and to me that is wrong
3: mhm and I, I totally agree with you, Donald. And I, I when you say like, we don't want to go back to the historical context, but again, the history of what policing is is exactly what you've mentioned, right? So they can put people like you and me in place into these positions, but the procedures and what is being taught is being taught at, again, around white supremacy of what the policing is. So <clears throat> until we really figure and understand what the history, the historical context, what police is, then we'll never really want to understand what police brutality is because exactly what you just mentioned, we are taught as citizens to just uphold and just agree to everything they say, mm-hmm. right? Even though we have our hands up and we have no weapons, we are still being shot at as far as like us, the people that look like
2: me and you, black and brown people, right? What's happening? Who's connected? Who Who are, who are the champions here? Because there are champions, you know, like this... This family is not staying quiet and we need to know where that's happening. For sure.
3: And, you know, one of the things, again, when we talk about the history of police, like how is this going to change? Right. Is police reform. And so how many conversations do we need to have? I guess like as many as we need to. Mm-hmm. The families, along with Justice for Yejong, our group, um, and there are many other groups that are standing in solidarity we are meeting to really have a conversation about the police like how can we change this right because it starts at the core and the core is of course unfortunately abdi shot officer abdi shot him but again it's at the core of like these procedures as you guys were sharing like who is hosting who's policing the police right you know Mm -hmm. who's who is writing these procedures and so i think that's so important for us to also remember as well, um, there are many, many folks that are just stepping up and volunteering their time and just, you know, wanting to hold a space for folks to, you know, create action and, um, you know, be together in this in solidarity, not just our Hmong community, not just Black, but, you know, every community. And I think that's something that we really need to highlight too, right? is like stronger together solidarity because it's not affecting just one community, Of course, you know, I I have a black son, so this hits me many, many times. Mm -hmm.
2: And so, um, mm -hmm. yeah, Yeah. we're with you. And I I do want
0: to thank Marsha for for stepping up because I I know Marsha. She's busy. Her son is an entrepreneur. He's got his own business going. She's got her businesses going. She's not related to the family. and She has stepped up. Uh, as a community member, to to help lead this justice for Yeah Sheng, because you know, for me, I like literally crawled back into my hole when when I heard, and then when I heard who he was, mm-hmm. and then when I heard that I I went to school with his nieces and nephews, I really crawled mm-hmm. into this hole. I didn't want to watch the video, I didn't want to talk about it. I you know, and mm-hmm. I didn't have you know just the mental health capacity. To, to go and do what Marsha and, and a lot of community members, not only in the Hmong community, but a lot of our black brothers and sisters stepping up and, and helping and saying, you know, these are, you know, helping lead and guide the, the rallies as well. Um, I didn't have that inside of me to do, and there's so many people on the community who are stepping up saying, you know, I, I'm willing to hold this torch with everyone. And I think that's so important because... We are going to be the majority people of color, right? We've talked about this in counter stories. BIPOC folks are going to become the majority in this country, not in not a long time. So, you know, we need to be standing together, especially against these systems that have been built, built up against us. I want to talk a little bit just about Yeah and his and what his family has been saying about him, and what he means to them. And I don't know, Marsha, if you have um, a lot or anything that you've been talked talking with the family that you might want to share about him as a person. For sure. Yeah. Like, Mm
3: -hmm. uh, let me try not to cry because like, this is, you know, I was just telling, you know, my, my colleagues in my group, like you guys, I would love to chant, but I'm going to probably be so angry and and, and it's not, but you know, I, I appreciate you guys for giving us a platform and just, you know, closing on who yeah, shown was. Mm-hmm. Again, he, Ye Xiong was a 65-year-old Hmong Secret War veteran who fought alongside American soldiers during the Secret War. You know, he's mm-hmm. loving, he's kind. He now leaves his wife, who I didn't meet. He leaves mm-hmm. his children. He leaves many mm-hmm. grandchildren. You know, mm-hmm. the St. Paul Police Department painted him to be this very aggressive man. That's not who he is. You know, he is a part of um, our community. He is um, disabled. He is deaf. You know, so mm-hmm. he was very gentle, kind, a loving person. And so um, his families really want us to remember that about him. Yeah. Like he could have been any of our grandfathers or any of
1: our yes. fathers.
3: Right. And so I think that's... um.
1: Well, he actually was younger than I am. <laughs> right. So... <laughs> So thank you for including me in that category Marsha. <laughs> but you know it, it and 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 that in of itself is startling because that meant for him to have fought in that war he was young.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Right? Mm-hmm. So he's 3 years younger than me and um And in 19—what, I started college in 1973, and the war was still going on, and I was only 18 years old at that time. So Uh if the war ended in 75, right, I would have been 20. He still would have only been 17 years old. So how old—I mean, he had to have been a child Uh Uh to have been engaged in that war. Think about that. I mean, just three years— so to me, that is absolutely startling that he was recruited at that age, right? He was a young man to have found I know people
0: in that war. who were as young as 10 years old when they were mm-hmm. recruited for the mm-hmm. secret war. That's, he very well I mean, could have been one of those.
1: And that's yeah. the history we don't know, we don't hear about, you know. And, mm-hmm. and, um, and I mean, but there are, there, there's so much to the story that needs to be unpacked. Um, thank you for, for sharing that and, and the background on the family. I know that once I saw that video, it totally changed my perception and what I was hearing from the police. I'm always leery when I initially hear these reports anyways, because we have to be. And then once I saw that video, then I knew something was up. Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, and, and it's not just that, but I think that, the other thing that is happening is that there is so much violence in this country. I think almost mm-hmm. every day for the past week, we are hearing of some kind of shooting somewhere. Yeah. Uh-huh. Right. I mean, the latest I, I was hearing about is this 19-year-old black, black kid who shot some mother and, and her nine-year-old child. Then, turn around, came back to the scene, and, a, and apparently shot a reporter reporting on the first shooting. Were bombarded with further violence, and and I think as a society it begins to, as Hilly said when we started, it begins to wear us down. We've talked about that very thing here on Counter Stories before, where 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 you know we're we're bombarded with these things day in and day out but this was a little different mm-hmm. it, and and uh and it saddens me and you know the the one thing that i kind of point on in counter stories is and it's not it's not a race but it seems like it's always a black white thing but that's because that's what gets reported mm-hmm. american indians are killed mm-hmm. at a higher rate than blacks are by police in this country. But it doesn't make the media
3: right, yeah, right,
1: and right. that's the difference, right, right. And so, and um, and I'm not saying that as a badge. I'm just saying that that as communities of color, this violence by by systems that were put in place supposedly, they keep telling us to protect and serve us, tend to end up killing us more often than not. And it's a huge issue that we need to really continue to examine.
3: Can I interject something really quick you before sure we can. end? You know, Ye Hyung should be here with us today. Mm-hmm. He's not, and I think this is a great opportunity for Chief Axel Henry, Mayor Melvin Carter, and everyone to really stand up right now. And we can we can be that. We can be that for them to say, listen, uh, we understand that there is uh, there is something I don't want to cuss on an ear. Right. But Mm -hmm. there is something here. And we apologize for this. Right. We are put in place. You guys have voted us in place to change this so that it is equal and that these are ethical Right. And so this is a moment for Axel Henry, Chief Axel Henry and Mayor Carter, specifically in the city of St. Paul, to step up so that we can begin this healing process. Right. Because, again, we don't want to forget that Yajon left his life due to this. So I just really want to interject that like this is a moment for them to really stand up and for us as not just a city, but as a country to really take a look at the police brutality and the death by the police and justly, and a moment for us to really start the healing process. And so I I would hope that Chief Axel Henry and Mayor Melvin Carter if you guys are listening, you know, you guys can definitely be the people to to start this healing process not just for us here in St. Paul but as a nation. Um so others can really mm-hmm. be in in you know, we could lead by example.
0: Mm-hmm. Thank you so much. I totally agree. I feel like we've given our listeners so much to think about. Like it's not just this one story and it's not just from this one angle. It's from so many different angles, from so many different stories from way before 2023, right? Just going back as far as you can in American history, there's just so much there. And I hope our listeners are able to take it take a take the time and learn that if they haven't already thanks for joining us today Marsha. thank you so much and we'll have to have you back under um to talk about some of the more exciting things mm-hmm. and happy things that you do in the community for sure i'm halia lee owner of the other media group counter stories producer and vp of
2: programming at ampers
1: i'm don you eubanks associate of dendros group and member of the Malak Fan with Jubilee and
2: cindy Morales garcia co-founder of the courageous change collective and our special guest Marsha allen i am
3: a Hmong woman to a black child i am an east sider and entrepreneur here in
0: st paul minnesota thanks for joining us this has been counter stories a co-production of the counter stories crew and ampers diverse radio for minnesota's communities with support from the minnesota arts and cultural heritage fund for our full conversation please visit counterstories.com.